Good morning. I'm going to be preaching today from the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And it talks about a few concepts. It talks about the old self, the new self, putting things away, putting on new things. And Colossians, this segment of the um, scripture, it's, you know, it's within the context of Colossians 3 which is in the context of the book of Colossians, which is in the context of the whole New Testament, which is in the context of the whole Bible. But we're going to just talk about these few concepts, and I'm going to title this message, Liberated from the Old Self. And I'm going to try to put some flesh and bones on these words. And I realize there haven't been a lot of new movie releases during the pandemic, but Pre-pandemic, every time there was a new Marvel movie, like, you know, Avengers Endgame or Captain Marvel, um, my kids, Natalie, Peter, and I, we would get tickets um, for these movies at, the, at Old Town Monrovia, and we would go. And I think the interesting thing about the Marvel movies is the broad appeal they have across uh, age and types of people. And so much so that from a box office perspective, it destroys Star Wars, right? The, the appeal is unbelievable. And I think the reason for the broad appeal, it's not the special effects in the action scenes, actually, but it's the characters and the breadth of characters they have and how they develop these characters. And so there's so many interesting characters in the Marvel Universe, right? You have Iron Man, which is really the reason I got into Marvel. Um, And you've got Captain America, Black Panther, Black Widow, and so forth. And these movies do a great job of showing the arc that these characters travel from their kind of their old self to their new self or or their alter ego superhero um, identity. And so... For example, my favorite character, I would have to say, is a guy named Scott Lang. And maybe it's because he's an engineer. But he starts as a divorced engineer, and he's recently released from prison. And he can't find a job because of his criminal record. And then he becomes Ant-Man, right? He becomes a superhero who can shrink to the size of a little ant. And then there's um, a guy named Stephen Strange, who I'm going to talk about a little more later. And he's an, his, his old self is an arrogant, self-centered, self-promoting, materialistic neurosurgeon. And he becomes Dr. Strange. And he becomes a defender of the universe who kind of fights in the background for Earth. Um, and the interesting thing is Christianity promises a second life a sort of an alter ego life, if I may say so. And it's the life in Christ, and it's the life lived out of the new self. And my hope is that today's message is going to shed some light on this, how we're supposed to live out of this new life. Okay, And so we're going to take a look at it under, we're going to look at three verses, actually, in this. We're going to look at verse 8, verse 9, verse 12. Actually, I forgot to actually even read this. So let's read it right now. 
starting, I'm reading from the ESV, um, chap, Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 8. All right? It says, but now you must put them all away. Okay, so putting away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, again, put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. All right? So we're going to look at verse 8, verse 9, verse 12. We're going to be asking the questions, if I am liberated, if we're liberated from the old self, why do we need to keep putting off these things? We're going to ask, how are we actually liberated from the old self and live out of the new self? And then what does it mean to put on these things on top of the new self? All right? So let's pray. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for this day that you have given us. God, we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, we enter your courts with thanksgiving. And God, we humbly ask, God, you would open up your word, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. You would give us a spirit of revelation and wisdom that we might know you more, that we might see you through these words. Come and settle us during this time with your comfort and with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start with verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And I'm going to look at this verse by making an assumption and then asking a question, right? And the assumption is that and we're going to talk about this later, is that we are liberated from the old self. And if you've been Christian for a while, you know that we're liberated because our old self was crucified with Jesus when he was crucified, and it was brought to nothing, right? So, and this is Romans 6, Colossians 2. The question I'm going to ask is that if we're actually liberated from the old self, then why do we need to keep putting these things off? Like, shouldn't we just be free and therefore, we don't, we shouldn't, we don't, we would never succumb to anger or malice, right? So why is it? And the answer is this, is that, and I want you to, you know, when you see restaurants sometimes or grocery stores and they'll say under new management, do you guys ever see that? That means a new owner has bought that place and it's under new management. And the thing is that even after we've been liberated from the old self, we're under new management. We can persist in the practices of the old management or the old self. Things that we used to do normally or naturally when we lived out of the old self. And so to put off means we have to intentionally stop these old habits, 
these old ways that were under the old management, such as anger, malice, wrath, slander, obscene talk, and then we choose, we obey God's ways. Okay? And so, let me just give you an example. Um, and this is kind of what I've learned regarding putting things off, putting things on. And this is probably one of the first ways I experienced God. And this was during my freshman year in college. And really, I want to, it's kind of a tale of two freshmen, one of which was me, and the other was a friend of mine. And we live in the same dorm, and we had the same major, and we had kind of the same background. His dad, I remember, um, his dad was an engineer at JPL, in, right here in Pasadena. And my dad was a, was a physicist working at NASA Ames Center in Cleveland. And... Beyond those similarities, we actually ended up liking the same girl. So we had this weird love triangle. And after all of, after the dust settled, we both ended up very bitter. Okay? We ended up bitter about the whole experience. And the thing about bitterness is that it's not a static thing. It's not like you're bitter and it just stays the same, but it can grow if it's not dealt with. And you have to understand, I was a freshman, I was 18, um, not very mature, and so this, this bitterness grew. And at its root, of, at the root of the bitterness is usually an unforgiveness of a wrong done to us. And now this wrong might be a real wrong or a perceived wrong, meaning that we weren't actually wronged, but we think we were wronged, Right? And so, in either case, there's this unforgiveness, and my friend and I, we were both bitter because we felt this person did us wrong, right? And the interest, and I've grown to realize that bitterness, when you're bitter, it gives you a sense of power. And you, because you feel that you have the right to be bitter, Right? Because after all, I was the one who was wronged. Right? I am the oppressed one. I am the hurt one. I am wronged. So you feel that justice is on your side. And so you feel there's a sense of justification for feeling bitter and angry and so forth. And so as a result, this, the bitterness grew. And actually... A few months later, another incident happened which gave me more reason to become more bitter. And so, now the problem with bitterness, right, is that it's completely incompatible with peace and love and joy, all of which I longed to experience as a Christian, but I was not experiencing any of that. And so, here I was, I was feeling very miserable. I was a miserable wretch. And the thing is that I was a brand new Christian at this time and God had begun to change me and, and I was experiencing that. I was under the new management of the Lord, right? So there was, I was experiencing the life, this new life. But at the same time, I was persisting in the practices of the old self, 
right? These practices were things that were natural to me in the past, which means that if someone treats me wrong, I get upset at them, right? If someone gives me the middle finger, I give them the middle finger, right? If someone treats me wrongly, then I, I talk badly about them, right? And I didn't know any better, and I was merely persisting in the practices of the old self. And the problem was that my friend and I, right, we had this dynamic by which we would talk, we would hang out and talk, and the bitterness would grow. And by, God, by, by God's grace, one day, I was having my devotions, right? I was doing my quiet time. And I was reading through the New Testament, and I felt for the first time that I should forgive this person that had wronged me, okay? And it brought me to a point of decision where I would either choose, continue on this path of bitterness, persisting in the practice that had been natural to me, or I would choose this new way that I read about in the New Testament of forgiving someone, okay? And lo and behold, there was, I found out about these prayer meetings that were happening in my dorm. And actually, they were happening all the time, but I never paid any attention to it because I thought, you know, only leaders go to prayer meetings. But because God was doing something, I felt, you know, I should go to this prayer meeting. And it is there that I shared about my bitterness and I made a decision to forgive this person um, who had wronged me. And when I did that, this, this torrent of tears just came flooding down my face. And I did not know that it was all in there, but this bitterness and all of that just came, all came out. And the people at the prayer meeting, they, they prayed for me and they ministered to me. And it all came out. And I had this peace that I had never felt before. Now, along with that, I felt the sweetest, most, I had the sweetest or most liberating um, realization. And that realization was that it was not actually this person that had wronged me. It was actually me that had wronged her with my anger, with my slander, with my malice. Right? And so here I was. I was so happy at realizing that it was me who had done the wrong, right? And the reason was because that was the truth, and God had finally broken through when I let go of the bitterness, when I put off the bitterness, right? I was able to see the truth. I was able to have the most sweet, liberating realization. I want to say that when we persist, okay, in the practices of the old self, such as anger or slander or malice, okay? What we do is we suppress the growth of the new self, okay? We suppress the renewal of the new self, okay? We suppress God's ways growing in us. Think of it like, imagine a child, right, who's growing and you put on them like this tin can around them, right? 
so they cannot grow. That's what persisting in the old practices does to our life in Christ. It will suppress it, okay? And so some of us, God has started a great work in us, right? And God is faithful to complete it, but we can suppress it, right? By persisting in the practices of the old self. And so the scripture, Paul says here, and it's a very strong word, it says, you must put them away. It's not optional. You must put it away, okay? We must put away the practices of the old self. And so how do we do that? Number one, we have to identify that, okay? And it's actually very easy to identify, except that we are so used to it, it seems so natural to us, and we justify our old behavior, okay? But if you, during this next week, I challenge us, right? In our interaction with people is, do we have anger? Do we have any malice? any ill will toward them, any wrath, right? Which is kind of anger bursting out, slander. We talk, we, we say a little bad thing about someone, right? Or obscene talk. We have to detect it, we have to identify it. We have to call it what it is, it's sin, okay? We put that away, and then we get to choose God's ways, okay? And Forgiveness, it's so basic, but it's so key. We have to forgive. Okay? We have to forgive others. We have to forgive when we feel we are wronged, we are slighted. We choose his ways and we obey. So let's keep going. So verse 8 says, You must put them away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And I'm going to read it a little differently. And I'm going to say, it says, see, in verse 9, seeing that you have put off the old self. And I'm going to read it as seeing that you have been liberated from the old self. And I want to talk about how is it that we become liberated from the old self. Okay? And I'm going to talk about a boy named Eustace. Okay? And this boy named Eustace, he's a character in a book called Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And it's, it's the fourth book in the Chronicles of Narnia, okay, um, by C.S. Lewis. It's a fictional children's book series, right? And this boy named Eustace, um, and I'm, I'm going to go into it a little bit, so it'll take some time. He's a cousin of the four main characters in the series. So he's a cousin of Peter, Susan, Edmund, Lucy. And these characters have been to this place called Narnia, where they meet a lion named Aslan, right? And they go on these amazing adventures, okay? And what happens is that one summer, Edmund and Lucy, two of the cousins, end up living with Eustace for the summer. Now, 
Eustace' personality was such that he preferred facts over fiction. Right? So he read books about like the economy and numbers and stuff, and he didn't read books with you know, adventures and dragons. Right? And because the reality of Narnia doesn't fit with his you know, understanding of facts, he doesn't believe his cousins have ever been to Narnia. And which is okay because even the, you know, even Peter, the older siblings didn't believe Lucy when she went, right? But the, the problem with Eustace is that he has a couple of, I guess, character faults. One of them is a meanness. So he's, he can become very mean. So even though he's physically smaller than Edmund and Lucy, he would bully them mercilessly, right, about Narnia saying this is just baloney, you know, and he would try to make their life miserable, okay? And what happens is that one day, you know, in the book, they get swept into Narnia, okay? So Eustace, Edmund, and Lucy get swept into Narnia, and they end up on a boat called the Dawn Treader, okay? And that's why it's called the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And And this is where another thing happens, which is that Eustace, another character fault with Eustace, he's very self-centered and he looks at everything through his lens, right? Whereas the the people of Narnia, they're generally joyful, um, you know, quote-unquote good people. And so when, as he's on the boat with them, the Narnians rub him in all the wrong ways and he ends up kind of, being miserable and isolated from them, okay? And what happens is that um, at first, you know, it's beautiful sailing, but they hit a major storm and they, um, they barely survive and they end up on this island. And so they finally land on this island and everyone is working hard to repair the ship, to gather supplies. And at this point, Eustace says to himself, you know what, I'm going to just slip away while no one's looking. I'm just going to relax because I deserve it, and I'll come back when everyone's done working. All right? So he slips away, and you know, as the tale unfolds, he takes some wrong turns, and by nightfall, he's completely lost. And he ends up in front of a dragon cave where a dragon comes out and promptly dies, okay? The dragon dies right before him, and it starts raining, and so the only place he can go is into the cave, right? And in the cave, he finds the most incredible treasures and so forth, and he actually finds this amazing bracelet, and he puts it on his arm, right? And he thinks about how, you know, if he took a few of these diamonds, you know, without telling the others, and he goes back to England, he can do great things with the money. And so he, he's happy and he falls asleep in the dragon cave. And this is where C.S. Lewis says, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. And so when he wakes up the next morning, it takes him a little while to realize this, but he has been turned into a dragon. Okay. Now the thing about dragons is that 
dragons are lonely creatures. That's why in, in, in stories about dragons, you only find one dragon at a time. Because if there's another dragon, the dragon will eat the other dragon. Okay? He's, he's just a greedy, self-centered, miserable creature. That's what a dragon is. Now, this is where Eustace, though, is not a dragon. He's a human being. And so this is where he realizes oh, how lonely he is, how miserable he is, how wrong he's been, right? And not only that, he grew from a little boy to a big dragon. And so the bracelet that he had put in his arm starts pinching him and starts hurting him like crazy. So he's miserable and he, he weeps uncontrollably, okay? And this is when one night, when he is most miserable, Aslan, the dragon, appears before him. And Aslan takes him to a beautiful well with clear water, right? And Eustace the dragon can see, if I go into that well, I am going to be healed. He can kind of intuitively sense that, right? But before he goes in, Aslan the lion says, you have to first undress, right? You have to first take off your dragon scales and your skin, and so Eustace, being a dragon, he starts clawing himself, scratching himself. And at first, only the scales come off. But as he goes a little deeper, the whole skin comes off. And it's a beautiful feeling, peeling off your skin. Right? It says, it was a lovely feeling. He became so happy. And after a while, he saw the dragon skin right next to him. All right? And so... He's about to jump in to the well. But when he's about to do that, he looks in the well and he sees the reflection and he sees still a dragon with scales and dragon skin. And so he thinks to himself, oh, it must mean I probably have a second layer of skin, right? So he claws himself, he peels it off again. Beautiful feeling. And... He sees it lying there before him. He's about to jump in the pool. And then he sees the reflection again, only to see more scale and more skin. So he does it a third time. He claws himself. He rips it off. He peels it off. It all comes off beautifully. And when he looks again, he sees that he's still a dragon. And this is when he realizes the truth that he can, under all those layers, He's still a dragon. And he starts despairing. And this is when Aslan the lion says to him, you have to let me undress you. Right? And this is where Eustace sees the lion's claws and he's scared. Right? And he's scared of how much it's going to hurt. But by then he was so desperate that he said he just lies down on the ground and he lets Aslan the lion undress him. This what it's, and this is what he says. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. And he continues, 
and he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I had done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. So this one really hurt. When Aslan did it, it really hurt. And after Aslan had taken his skin off, he caught Eustace and he put him into the water. And when he came out, he had been turned back into a boy. Okay. And after that, Aslan dressed him, gave him some clothes. And this is what the end of the book says about Eustace. It says, Back in our own world, everyone soon started saying how Eustace had improved, how you would never know him from the same boy, except his mother, who said that he had become very commonplace and tiresome, and it must have been the influence of Edmund and Lucy. Okay. Now, the point I want to make from the story of Eustace is this, is that there's an infinite difference between Eustace trying to undress himself and Aslan undressing him, right? Only Aslan could undragon Eustace, okay? Only Aslan could undress him, undragon him, and liberate him from his old self, okay? And in the same way, only God can liberate us from the old self. We cannot liberate ourselves from the old self. We cannot undragon ourselves. Only God can undragon us. There's a verse in Colossians 2. Um, it's verse 11, and it hints at this. It says, In him also, this is in Christ, you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay? Now, knowing this, though, there are three mistakes we can make even as sincere Christians. Okay? And I want to just go over these mistakes that we can make. Even though we might be sincere in our faith, Okay. Mistake number one is not recognizing the need to be undragoned. Not recognizing the need to be liberated from the old self. Okay. Sometimes we don't realize that we are a dragon. Or we might be a dragon, but we're fine. Maybe we like the power and the wealth and the self-centeredness of being a dragon, okay? Except we were never meant to be a dragon. Like Eustace, we were meant to be a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, okay? And I have a word of encouragement and hope for those of us who might feel like, you know, I don't recognize the need right now. And the encouragement is this, is that the pain will lead you back. Just like with Eustace, right? He put this bracelet on his arm, and when he became a dragon, this pain hurt so bad, right? And just like that, the bracelet, the pain, will remind you, 
Maybe it'll be the loneliness of being a dragon. Okay? And we live in a day and age where people are just blinded to the state of their own heart, and we can share in this blindness as Christians. Okay? And so maybe this is you, or maybe you know someone in this place, right? And I want to take a, take a moment right now to pray. Let's pray together as a church, okay? Let's pray for people in, in, this, in this category. And so, Lord, we just come before you right now as a church. God, and we just pray. We pray, Lord, that you would remove the scales from our eyes. God, you would remove the scales off of the eyes of our loved ones. God, we pray this in the name of Jesus, God, that they might see your great love and their great need for you. We pray, pray touching this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The second mistake that we can make, even as sincere Christians, is that we recognize the need to be undragoned. We know there is something wrong, right? But like Eustace, we try to undragon ourselves. We try to liberate ourselves from the old self. All right? And the problem is this, is if you do that, if we do that, we will never know the true joy and freedom of the liberated life because we cannot liberate ourselves from the old self. Only God can. And so when we try to undragon ourselves, our life may look similar to the person who has been undragoned by God. Right? It'll be ace, ace, eh, uh, asymptotic. Asymptotic, there we go. Just like Michael was talking about, right? It looks the same, but they're infinitely different. We might have the same values, the same principles, okay? But it'll be missing the fellowship with God, the intimate relationship with God. It'll be without the grace of God. It'll be without the life of Christ working within us. It's all about, it's all our efforts, right? It's trying to be better, trying to be good, trying to be patient, trying to not be angry, okay? And if that is you, then I want to just lead you through a prayer that I wrote down here, okay? So let's, let's just pray together. Just a prayer that I wrote that helps us to not try to undragon ourselves. Lord, I will stop my own efforts to undragon myself, but instead I will look to you and I will ask you to undragon me. I will ask you to set me free from the old self. And I Look to the cross right now. I look to Jesus on the cross. And as I'm looking, I'm imagining that as Jesus died, the, my old self died with him. The, the dragon skin and the scales, they died. They came off of me and they died. And when Jesus rose and walked out of the tomb, just as he rose and walked out, 
rose from the dead, right, we can walk out as a new self, leaving behind the undragoned, that old skin and scale. We can arise as a new creation. God, we just thank you. Amen. And the third mistake that we can make as a sincere Christian is this, is we know we want to be undragoned. We want to be liberated. But there's a little part of the old self that we cling to. We hold on to that little part. And because of that, God cannot undragon us. Because we're holding on to that little thing. He cannot undragon us completely. And if you want to be liberated from the old self, it requires a complete surrender. A complete surrender. Okay? And I know what it meant for me when I, as an 18-year-old freshman in college, made a complete surrender. Okay? And over the years, right, God has shown me, oh, this too, this too. Right? But at some point, we have to make a, a conscious decision to say, I surrender everything. I'm willing to surrender everything. Okay? And it might seem like there's a price to pay, but for me, it was a very small price to pay for the greatest joy of being liberated from my old self. I remember that in the 90s, this is when I became a Christian, there's a song called Refiner's Fire, and it says, Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. And my, my friend that I talked about who was bitter with me could never understand why anyone would call God master and would want a religion where you call someone master. And for me, it was the most liberating thing to call God my master, right? Because I wanted to be undragoned from the old self. C.S. Lewis says, now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, if we let God have his way, we can come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which always has existed and always will exist. Christ is the Son of God, if we share in this kind of life, we also shall be sons of God. Okay. And I'm going to give an opportunity, maybe it'll be during the, the soaking time, for us to surrender to God completely again. Okay. To let God have his way so that we may share in the life of Christ, in this new life that he's offering us. So that is how we're liberated from the old self, right? When we ask God to undragon us. I'm going to move on to the last point, which is found in verse 12. Is then, how do we, what does it mean to then put on 
other things on top of the new self. Okay? And so let's go to verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Okay? And again, I'm going to share from an example and this is a very recent example from my own life of what it means to put on these things, okay? And maybe it was three, four months ago, I felt God leading me to grow in humility and patience, okay? And so there's, there's verses in the Bible like, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, right? Um, and... We know like patience is a fruit of the Spirit. So I wanted to grow in this. And at first, I found myself really struggling to grow in this. I I just could not understand how I was supposed to become more humble or more patient. And I I knew it had to be more than just trying to be more humble, trying to be patient. I found myself writing in my journal things like, I really cannot get myself to believe that this other person is more significant than me, right? And I, I, I must have been looking at Philippians 2, I think, where it says, count others, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And I just could not get myself to believe that or think that. And, but I persisted at it because I just felt God wanted me to grow in this area, especially in the way I related with my family members. And, One day, I had this realization, by God's grace, that when I put on humility, that when I put on patience, it's not me trying to do what I think humility means or patience means, but actually it's humility being put on me and then acting upon me. Okay? It's completely different than I I had thought. So let me give you an example to explain what what I mean by that. Let's say you put on Air Jordans, okay? Air Jordans are these sneakers made by Nike, right? And um, Michael Jordan used to wear them. And they're really cool basketball shoes, okay? And I actually had a pair um, right after college. I bought a used pair off of a friend and then I wore them for a couple of years. And then this dude wanted to buy them off of me. I sold them. Um, I sold a used, used pair of Air Jordans. That's how cool they are. And I wish I hadn't sold them if I knew how much they would be worth, right? But anyways, when I put on Air Jordans, okay, and I go play basketball, I, I might feel cool. I might maybe feel a little more confident, but they don't make me a better basketball player. Because they don't have any power within themselves to make me a better basketball player. Okay? So they don't make me jump higher. They don't make me more athletic. They don't make me shoot better. Okay? They're just cool basketball shoes. Okay? Now I want to talk about putting on something different. And I'm going to use Dr. Strange, who's a Marvel character. And Dr. Dr. Strange he has this thing called the cloak of levitation, okay? The cloak of levitation. And 
according to Marvel's website, it's a magical relic that is able to move and fly on its own power, enabling its user to levitate and hover in the air. Okay? And it possesses a will of its own and moves by its own accord. So it's not, you know how Superman has a cape when he flies? The cape doesn't do anything. It's just for decoration. But when Doctor Strange wears the cloak of levitation, it's got its own power and will. And so there's a scene where Doctor Strange okay, kind of first comes, becomes Doctor Strange, and he's fighting these bad guys who want to kill him. And he's wearing the cloak of levitation for the first time, and, and the, his enemy is coming to kill him, and Doctor Strange has no weapon, so he sees to his right an axe. And so he tries to run towards it to get the axe. And what you see is that the cloak of levitation prevents him from going there. Because the cloak of levitation has a will of its own. And so he's like, he's probably wondering, why are you not letting me get the axe? Right? And then he realizes the cloak of levitation is pulling him this way. And when he looks this way, he sees another weapon that he's supposed to use. It's a much more effective weapon. And see, what I was trying to do, and my mistake, right, was when I, when I was putting on humility, when I was putting on patience, okay, I was putting on Air Jordans. I was just trying to be more patient. I was trying to be more humble. I was trying it all out of myself, right, and saying, this is how someone should be more patient. And I was trying that. And obviously, of course, that doesn't work. What we need to realize is that when we put on these things like humility, let's, let's read this, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, okay? These are actually, it's, Scripture is not just telling us, try to be more this way. It's actually saying, put it on and the way I understand it is this, is that these things, right, are in Christ, right? These, these are the virtues of Christ. And because Christ is in me, these virtues are in me. And when we put them on, right, they start to act upon me like the cloak of levitation acted upon Dr. Strange. Okay? Now, the thing is that these virtues don't just start acting upon us, but they require us to take an intentional step of obedience to put it on and say, I am willing to be acted upon. And, and here's what I learned is that when we take that step of obedience, the reality of God breaks through and we start experiencing some of that. Okay? So this is what happened for me. So as I spend time fellowshipping with God, and trying to put on humility and patience, I began to notice that humility and patience began to restrict me. It began to restrain me from what I would normally do before. So for example, in the past, okay, and I'm, 
and I regret to say this, but maybe in, in the past, I would have normally criticized people in my family. I would have pointed out something they were doing wrong, give them unsolicited advice, you know, because I am the wise guy and, you know, I know what's right. Okay? And I thought I was doing right. But what I felt, what I realized is that as I put on humility and patience, I felt something telling me, restraining me, restricting me from doing that. Does that make sense? It's like the cloak of levitation wouldn't let Dr. Strange go to the right. Humility and patience restrain me from doing what I normally would do, doing what I thought was right in the past. And as I kind of worked with that restraint and that restriction, I realized that God was giving me, creating a space so that I could see what I was doing for what it was, which is a practice of the old self. Okay? It wasn't actually compassionate love. It wasn't the love of Christ. It wasn't the kindness of Christ, the humility of Christ, the patience of Christ. It was just my old self doing what I thought was right. And as a result of that, that space... I was given grace to say, you know, I want to put this away. I don't want to do that anymore. And I want to find God's way. And I'll finish with this. This is what C.S. Lewis, I know I've quoted him a lot, but this is what he says. And now we see what the New Testament is always talking about. It talks about Christians being born again. It talks about them putting on Christ, about Christ being formed in us, about our coming to have the mind of Christ. Put right out of your head the idea that these are only fancy ways of saying that Christians are to read what Christ said and try to carry it out, as a man may read what Plato or Mark said and try to carry it out. He says, put it right out of your head. They mean something much more than that. They mean that a real person, Christ, here and now, in that very room where you are saying your prayers, is doing things to you. It is a living man, still as much a man as you, still as much God as he was when he was created, the world, really coming and interfering with your very self, killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self he has. Praise God. It is Christ really coming and interfering with your very self, killing the old natural self in you and replacing it with the kind of self he has. At first, only for moments, then for longer periods. Finally, if all goes well, turning you permanently into a different sort of thing into a new little Christ, a being which in its own small way has the same kind of life as God, which shares in his power, his joy, his knowledge, and eternity. So with that, we're going to close, and I'll pray for us right now. I know I've 
given, perhaps given you a lot. I've given a lot of teaching. But right now, what we want to do is actually worship God. We want to worship Christ. Who loved us. And died for us. That we might be liberated from the old self and be able to partake in this second kind of life, this alter ego life, which the New Testament calls the new self, the new creation, life in Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And Lord, so we just want to praise you that there is such a thing as this second life, as this new life. God, we just want to praise you. And we ask that you would come right now into every room on this Zoom call here and make your love known more. Make your power known more. Reveal yourself more. God, we want to worship you. We worship you, O God, who died to undragon us. God, so that that corrupting influence of the old self might be torn off, peeled off completely so that we can walk away as a new creation and begin to put away the practices of the old self, things that were so natural to us, things that we justify with our minds. Come Holy Spirit and and cleanse us as as a people, cleanse us as a church. We welcome the conviction of your Holy Spirit And God, we just thank you that we don't, we don't have to just do it on our own, but that there is this life in Christ that, that you actually, as C.S. Lewis said, God, you really come and interfere with our very self. And you replace the old natural self with the kind of self that you have. God, what an amazing thing. God, we welcome you. We ask that you would teach us, lead us step by step. And so we bless you. God, we worship you. We thank you for this word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.